Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. Hello fellow construction workers and welcome back to the Constructionist Podcast. I hope that every day you are building yourself up in faith and on the promises of God. And today what I'd like to talk about is the Bible first, what is it, and also our attitude towards it. I just recently came back uh, last weekend from a Teach Them Diligently conference. I don't know if you've heard of Teach Them Diligently conferences, but they are basically homeschool conferences with a wide uh, variety of speakers who are all coming to try to help families in their homeschooling endeavors to raise and disciple their children so that they can grow up and become godly uh, representatives of the faith in their life as adults. But one of the things that came out of the conference was a statistic. And the statistic was a sort of scale of how applicable people make the Bible to their lives, particularly in the church. Well, in the church, I should say. And this, I guess the scary statistic was that only 5% of people surveyed, or you know, believers, I guess you could say, actually read the Bible and have it speak directly to them and have it inform their life and they make their decisions based on what the Bible teaches and what it says. Only 5% of Christians. So uh, there's a, another Bible teacher I like to listen to quite a bit, and he often talks about the difference between having the Bible be your buddy and having the Bible be your authority. So the way he explains it is this. You can buddy-buddy up to the Bible, and you can let the Bible give you an occasional hug and tell you that you're doing good and that God loves you and that everything in your life uh, can be okay and will be okay, that kind of thing, uh, because that's sort of what just a friend does. A friend comes along and hangs out with you and spends a bit of time with you every day, or maybe not even every day. I mean, I've got people that are friends of mine that I haven't seen in years, but if I sat down with them, you know, we'd pick up a conversation again and kind of carry on as we were. Um, But but you have a sort of buddy-buddy relationship with that person, and so, or the Bible. You don't really want it to get mean to, or not mean to you, I don't want to say that, the Bible's not mean, but have it say things you don't want to hear. Uh, now, an authority over your life will tell you things that you don't want to hear. So let's say you're at work and your boss comes in and gives you uh, a report that something or other that you are responsible for wasn't done right, or you missed a detail that was quite important, or uh, you just weren't up to snuff on this particular thing, or... Uh, you're in school, university, or something like that, and you didn't study well on the test, and so you got a very poor grade. And so the teacher's the authority, and they come along and say, "Sorry, you, you didn't, you didn't uh, measure up to the mark." 
And so now you feel, you know, all despondent and mad at yourself and that kind of thing. But you suck it up and you say, no, I want to do better. I want to, I want to excel at this thing. So a sort of friendly buddy buddy relationship with somebody wouldn't necessarily be that way. Now maybe you have a friend that would just walk straight up to you and say, you're wrong on this issue and you need to straighten up or else. Uh, you know, there are a few friends in the world that are like that. But for the most part, in this society that we live in today, you're sort of buddy-buddy with uh, the Bible. A lot of people are just buddy-buddy with the Bible. They don't really want the Bible to tell them things they don't want to hear. So the statistic that only 5% of the church in America, anyway, uh, and probably the Western world as a whole, and I'm talking about all of Canada, the English-speaking world, uh, the Australian, New Zealand, uh, Ireland, and, and the British Isles, and all that, is probably a similar thing, and I would certainly think the Western world as a whole, when you look at Europe and all that, is probably the same, because the statistics are that the church is on the decline in many of these countries. And, uh, I mean, I've got fairly close ties with the UK, having lived there for a couple of years. Uh, the statistics there are appalling. You know, the number, like a fractions of, a fraction of, a fraction of people in the country actually do attend church on a regular basis. It's a very small percentage on the whole, compared to the whole uh, in England, so and the whole of the UK. So America is rapidly going that direction, especially with the coronavirus and so many people just watch church on their computer or their phone or something like that or just ignore it altogether. And a lot of churches have, just, have for the most part, just ceased to really be And so people aren't being impacted like they used to, and it's very easy just to let things go. This is a bad, bad situation. We need to be on our guard even more so. Uh, The little fellowship I go to, I'm just part of a small house church, and I think we maybe didn't, didn't meet once in the whole coronavirus thing very, very early on. And we, but we've carried on since with Bible studies during the week and, and Sunday meetings. And so, uh, we didn't see any reason not to meet together because we recognize that it's important as believers to gather together and to maintain fellowship. So if you are not attending fellowship, then you're not being encouraged as a group. And so your faith will begin to slide. To a degree, you may not notice it, but it's going that direction. The same is true uh, with the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible, if you're not ingesting it to make it, it a part of your life, you your spiritual life will slide. So I heard an interesting sort of anecdote about a concert pianist, and maybe you can apply this to your own life in some area that you are very good at that you have to maintain constantly. But a concert pianist, said, if I don't practice the piano one day, then I notice the next day that I didn't practice. If I go two days, then, uh, you know, people who listen to me regularly notice. If I go three days and I try to have a, con- everybody will notice. So it's, it's this idea of maintaining a high standard. As believers, we should allow the Bible to speak to us to maintain this high standard. Now, let me point out to you Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible by far. It's got 119 
verses in it. Sorry, Psalm 119 has over 170 some verses in it. It's a very long, long chapter, and it takes a while to read through. It's got 176 verses in it, and it takes a while to get through. But bear in mind, if you've never noticed this before, Psalm 119 is actually a prayer to God about keeping the Word of God. So when we look at the Bible, we call it a book. We call it a collection of uh, ancient literature. We call it uh, poetry. We call it um, history. There's a number of things we can call the Bible. But the, the point is, is the Bible is the Word of God. And if we slip on that, then that will put us down a slippery slope where we can decide to for ourselves which, which bits are God's Word and which bits are not. If we don't say it's all God's Word, and we only say that it contains God's Word, or we only say that parts of it are God's Word, then it becomes a huge problem to try to determine which bits are God's word and which are not. How do you decide? There is no criteria for deciding. It's whatever you feel like saying that's God's word and that's not God's word. And then suddenly you're buddy-buddy with the Bible and you don't let it be your authority anymore because the bits that you don't want to listen to, you just ignore. And you say, well, that's not really God's word. I don't want anything to do with that. I'll read this bit over here. That's Old Testament. I'm going to ignore that. I'm just going to read this bit over here. I like uh, red, I'm a red letter Christian. I only deal, I only really care about what Jesus said, not everybody else, because Paul was a male chauvinist and, you know, his opinion is irrelevant anyway, blah, blah, blah. So it's a bad, it's a bad state to be in because the scripture, the New Testament says that the Old Testament is inspired scripture, which makes it authoritative. And even Peter himself refers to Paul's writings and lumps them in with the rest of Scripture. And so, uh, and then when you, even when you get to the very end of Revelation, it says anyone who adds or removes words from this book will have curses and all this stuff get added to them and all that. So you, the whole of the Scripture uh, speaks of itself as the Word of God. And if you read about the history of the Bible, it really is amazing that this book has actually survived all of these years. It has been attacked and maligned and criticized and burned and banned and over and over again for millennia. And yet it survives. And even today, it's still the most widely spread book around the world. It's still translated into more languages than any other book. It's still actively being translated into languages that have never had copies of it before. It's a stunning book when you delve into it and see what it has to say. But Psalm 119 is a prayer. So when we begin with verse 1, it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And then it begins to carry on uh, referring, the, the writer refers directly to God. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I lean on your righteous rules. 
it's a lovely psalm to read through, but it is a prayer. It's being addressed to the Lord. And so one thing we need to remember about Psalm 119 is poetically, it is an acrostic. Every eight verse section, and if you have a, a good Bible, it'll actually point this out. Uh, it'll break up the whole of the psalm in eight verse segments and have the Hebrew letter as the heading for that eight verse segment. So for instance, verses one to eight has a heading, Aleph, that is the first letter of the Hebrew Bible. And then verses eight, sorry, verses nine to sixteen would be Bet, and that's the heading for that eight verse section of the psalm. Now the heading Aleph or Bet or Gimel or Dalit or Hey or whatever, those are the that's the letter that every verse in Hebrew starts with. So if you open up a Hebrew Bible, what you'll find is the verses one to eight are all, every verse begins with the letter Aleph. That's why that's the Aleph section. And then verses 9 to 16, every verse in Hebrew begins with the letter Bet. So it's uh, supposed to aid in our memory of reading these uh, verses and then having them in particular places uh, order as it goes through the whole of the Hebrew alphabet. And so when you consider that there's 22 letters in the primary Hebrew alphabet, then every letter is given eight verses to give you, allow you to breathe out a prayer to the Lord about the scriptures. And there's different words used throughout the psalm that that are different words for the scriptures. You have commandment, you have statute, you have judgment, you have word, you have law. These are all different words that describe different aspects of the Bible. So it's a prayer that incorporates all the letters of the alphabet, which we use to make up all the words that we speak. And so every, so all, it's sort of like it's saying that all of communication, all of the, the nuts and bolts, the atoms of communication need to be directed toward the Lord. And so the scriptures are that avenue by which we read it to direct ourselves to the Lord. And what attitude are we supposed to have toward the scripture? So lots of people who are atheist or from other religions or whatever have read the Bible. And they say, I've read the Bible. It's a silly book. Now, let me ask, what attitude are you taking to the Bible when you get there? Are you looking at it from a purely academic perspective? Are you looking at it to debunk it? Are you looking at it to find all the contradictions in it? Why are you reading this book that claims to be the words from God, from his mind, to demonstrate and explain to us his will and tell us who the person of Jesus Christ is so that we can find salvation? What attitude are you taking toward this book? If you are not coming at it with an attitude of humility, then God will not speak to you through the book. Okay? There is actually a spiritual power there in the book, but it is latent, it's hidden if you're not coming to it on, uh, on the, under the terms of humility. Now, <laughs> let me explain what I mean. So, it's almost like the Bible knows what you're thinking when you come to it, all right? The Bible is sitting there as paper and ink 
bound in a cover. And it says on the front, Bible or Holy Bible or something like that. So you come to it and open it up. It knows the attitude you have as it comes. I know that sounds all mystical and everything, but I'm talking about the spirit and the author behind the scripture. He knows how you're coming to his book. Now, if I was to go to a bookstore and pick up a book off the shelf and start reading it, the author may be dead or the author may be alive. It's irrelevant either way. The author doesn't know what my attitude is toward his book. So I have books on my shelf that I've tried to read and I've gotten confused and I'm like, I'm not going to read. I I don't get this book. It's it's not speaking to me. I close it and stick it back up on the shelf. The author may still be alive or he may be dead. It doesn't matter. The point is, is he doesn't know my thought at that moment. God does know your thought at that moment. He knows the attitude you have coming to his book. And so when you open up a Bible, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be in prison. You could be, uh, you could be trying to debunk it. You can be seeking the, your last attempt to, to find something true before you kill yourself. You could be, uh, wanting to know God and you may love him. And so you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how you're coming to this book. The author knows your attitude toward it. And because he knows your attitude toward it, he will respond to you based on your attitude. If you're coming to the Bible as a critic uh, who's hostile, then God will not reveal things to you. It will be a uh, just words on a page. And you can read it, and you can find contradictions and you can that you think are there. Uh, I mean, I've looked up, I mean, I've listened to YouTube videos or looked up lists of contradictions found in the Bible, and, and I was like, are these people even reading the book? Are they even read? Are they even using normal speech to to understand what this? But they're pointing out contradictions that even aren't even contradictions. And I've heard of other people who have done the same thing. They've got lists of con of these are the contradictions in the Bible, and this is the reason why we should just throw this book out the door and ignore it altogether. And they look at it and they go, no, these aren't even contradictions. You just like I'm tired of this list. So because the Bible uh, doesn't have contradictions, ultimately in it. Now, if you're coming at it with an attitude of humility. Now, I say humility because, and not intellectualism because intellectualism is irrelevant when it comes to God. God has given us a book that you can read and you can understand. I don't care who you are. You can read it and you can understand it. It doesn't take brains to understand the clear message of the scripture. It takes humility to understand the deep meaning of the scripture, the true meaning of the scripture. Now, it says in the scriptures that if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then God will lift you up. God will reveal things to the humble person. The intellectual person who only wants to show off their brains and how clever and smart they are uh, is a person that will put down somebody else for being thick or being slow or being what they consider stupid. So is that an attitude that God has? No, God does not have an attitude of intellectualism. God operates in an attitude of humility. And to prove it, I will point to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God and creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, and in him all things consist and are held together, he is the 
word, the logos of God, the supreme mind, the supreme reason, the supreme intellect of God. This is the person uh, of Jesus Christ in the flesh came as a humble baby, which in our day is considered something worth putting to death because it is uh, expendable. Okay, and I'm saying that in a in a shocking. I'm hoping it's a shocking sense because of our attitude of death in the cultural acceptance of abortion in our Western society today. We have uh, unfortunately 15 year old girls who are deciding to put to death the child within them uh, on a whim because they got sucked up in an emotional um, whirlwind and then did not want to be pregnant, were in a relationship that they should not have been in in the first place, and they're making decisions that are that's literally a life and death on another soul. Okay, So Jesus came into the world in that fashion. He came as a, as a baby and in a mother's womb that today people are actually being counseled and encouraged to destroy and kill and throw away, right? So if that's not humility, if that's not the most, uh, um, if that's not the most fragile and vulnerable thing that there is nowadays, I don't know. I mean, you got to say that. It's just babies are vulnerable and fragile. And so we need to realize that that's how God came. He came in low, low humility, abject humility. But from that position of low humility, read Psalm chapter 2. I'm oh, sorry, not Psalm, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus came humble, but then God exalted him because he lived his life in humility. Following the example of Jesus will open the scriptures up to us because he is the Logos of God. He is the word become flesh. He is the one who, uh, through the spirit, reveals the meaning of the word of God to us. So what is the Bible? It is the word of God. It is the authoritative word of God. And it is it is sufficient to understand who God is and how we should live our life in order to please him and receive the blessings that he has for us when we are following him in our soul and in our spirit. Who is, how should we come to the Bible? We should come to it in the same uh, character and attitude that Jesus had when he came to the earth, and that is one of humility. When we come to the Bible with in humility to let it speak to us and not us dictate to it what we think it should say, God will open the, it up and will reveal its meaning, its true meaning to us. And it's a beautiful thing to see people's eyes light up and they say, oh, I, I understand the Bible now. I used to read it before, and it just made no sense to me. But now that I understand it, now that I've come to the Lord in humility and read the Bible, I, I see it. I understand it. I remember the testimony of Jeff Allen, who's a, a comedian. You can look him up on YouTube. Very funny guy. Uh, but if you listen to his testimony of when he became a believer, he was on the brink of Depression. He was on in depression and on the brink of literally to sign. I mean, he was like, I think he said he was 10 minutes away from signing divorce papers with his wife. Things were bad. His whole job was to make people happy. And he was the most depressed and pathetic person you know, <laughs> he thought was walking around. And when he came to the scriptures in humility and God revealed them to him, he said, I was running around on out in front of my house saying, has anyone read this book? 
you know, he was so excited about it because God revealed it to him. And so uh, that's how we need to come to the scriptures. If we come with humility and ask the Lord to show us what he has to say and not try to dictate to him, he will reveal himself to us. And then we can move forward with a full life. God bless you. Read the scriptures. Ask the Lord to reveal them to you. Be blessed. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.